2: So, good morning, Cleveland. We have got a world record breaking podcast in front of us. Uh, Jack,
3: how are you, mate? I'm great. I'm really looking forward to this one. It's going to be a cracker.
2: Guys, we've got four people on our podcast. It's a world record. It's a a first. Uh, We've got Greg Elmore still in the studio. And we've got the number one Browns tape guy. Jake Burns. Jake, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm good, guys. I'm good. I'm glad to be on, man. My uh, my privilege.
2: Yeah, good. Um, I think all of us here uh, follow you on social media, so it's 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 great to actually speak to you uh, uh, live. So, uh, thank you very much for your time.
1: Oh yeah, again, my pleasure, man. I'm I'm always up for good Browns conversation, especially with you know it be connecting me with people I've never thought I'd ever ever connect with. You guys got a great thing going over there in London. I'm always. Always intrigued by your guys' opinion on how things are going, so it's uh, it's my pleasure. Gen- genuinely mean that. Okay,
2: good, good. So yeah, Jake, quite interested to know a little bit more about yourself. Um, so uh, Jake, are you actually a Browns fan?
1: Yeah, I am. I've, I've uh, I grew up in in central Ohio. Um, you know, which if, if you know folks are familiar geographically, it's it's the pick between you're either going to be a Cincinnati fan or a Cleveland fan, and I grew up in a household that was a little bit of both. My dad was a big Reds baseball fan down in Cincinnati, and uh, but was a Browns fan, so I fell in love with the Browns at a young age and obviously ended up falling in love with the Indians in the 90s. Those were good times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always been a Browns fan. I've always been uh, really at arm's length as a Browns fan in terms of just staying away from um, public forums and things of that nature, and we can touch a little bit about um, you know how I got into Browns Twitter and, and covering the Browns, but yeah, I've, I've, to, to answer the root of the question, that yeah, I've always I've always been a Browns fan for good or bad.
2: And uh, how much do you get up to Cleveland?
1: Uh well, I try to go once a year. I've gone some years. I've gone two or three times. It's about two hours for me from where I'm currently living, so um, it's not too overwhelmingly bad. But it is a it is a planned event sort of thing. But yeah, I try to get a couple times a year. This year, I'll obviously be going more covering them. So. Um, yeah, a couple, a couple times at the minimum. Okay,
2: good. I'm coming out for 24 hours uh, for the LA Chargers game, so if you're around for that, it'd be great to meet for a beer. Yeah,
1: heck yeah, man.
2: Okay, good, good. And um, Cleveland, um, what's your favourite food in Cleveland? I'm out there for 24 hours. I'm really keen to know. What's your first, f- first and favourite food you get in Cleveland? Well, the
1: options depending on what your favorite thing is my, my favorite thing is when I go to Cleveland I'll, I'll typically go to Barrio uh, which is a really good build your own taco restaurant if you're into grilled cheese they have a place called Melt that is really good um, as, as an alternative then there's a um, you know a pierogi uh, company up there too that, that, that does a really good j- or sorry Panini's which does a really good job up there too.
2: Yeah Greg's um, mouth Get super excited about this. <laughs> talking about Cleveland food, so okay, good, good.
1: I'm not. I'm not the greatest answer for that one. I didn't grow up in Cleveland, but I've, I've, uh, I've been up there. And usually when I go, I try to hit Barrio at the minimum. And you know, I'm sure there are guys. You, you guys get any more Cleveland people on that'll have some better answers. But Mel's always really good. Um, you know, so th- those are the typical ones.
2: Okay, great. And um, uh, last year the Browns obviously came across to uh, London. Um, I'm not looking for a nice, polite answer. What was your view when you first heard that Browns were coming to London?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. I it's it's to me it's in, I'm indifferent. I'm not, I was not I wasn't aggravated about it. I wasn't. Um, I didn't think it was a bad. I always think it's cool for the Browns to 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 reach out and branch out in terms of, of, of reaching new fans. I'm I'm more upset. I find myself more bothered when they don't get any primetime games here in the states, so they don't get those Thursday night footballer. Sunday night or Monday night games because they're just another 1 o'clock game and they kind of get lost in the shuffle. So I was I was excited to be able to watch them early, um, you know, because it's obviously when they were kicking off there in London, it was super early here in Ohio. So um, that, that's always cool to wake up and have football on the TV at 9 o'clock in the morning. So I, I liked it. I, I think any time the Browns can advance their brand, it's a good thing for their franchise and can, can, can keep getting more and more fans you know, because they're not winning enough to draw as yeah, <laughs> much fans yeah. as it is. So we got to try to keep the uh, bloodlines Greg, branching out.
2: Greg, you, you came over, obviously, for the Browns uh, game. I'm quite interested. How how did that atmosphere in the Admiral compare to, like, tailgating?
0: Oh, it was just... Uh, I, was, I was so pleasantly surprised, Jake. I mean, it was just incredible. I actually moved to London with my family just a few days before the game over here, so we were still a little bit jet-lagged, but to... Uh, to go down to the official Browns Pub, which is the, which is the Admiral, right on Progress Square. I mean, the atmosphere was just incredible. I mean, there were um, and then some of the legends from the Browns came into the came into the bar, had a couple of plants with everybody. It was just a gr- an incredible atmosphere. And uh, what I thought was interesting that whole entire weekend, and in, in addition going to the game, is just seeing. I mean, there were so many different um, uniforms of all the different NFL teams. I mean, everybody came out. I mean, it was just a really really fun atmosphere.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I wish I wish there were a way you know, there obviously used to be the NFL Europe. I wish there was a way they could have a team based in London. It just think they, they, they worry about the travel, but I, I don't know. I mean how far is the flight from LA to yeah, I don't know, how far is the flight from LA to, to, to Ohio to Cleveland? Is it is it that big a difference for for a London based team traveling to Cleveland? Or you know what I mean? Like I I mean I obviously uh, a london-based team traveling to, to LA would be brutal but I don't know I wish it I wish it could be a thing because i, I I've seen photos I, I read a lot of stories about some of my favorite writers who work up here with us with the browns how much they loved it your 1st hand account there greg is 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 just being blown away so uh, you know I wish it were were a, a possibility and it probably is a possibility I just I, I do hope that eventually London could get their own team because I think there's a there's a healthy supporting uh, you know number of people that support it Okay. Yeah, uh,
2: I think from our side, uh, it's great we have between three and five games here in London, and uh, all the European countries they can fly in two hours into London. Lots and lots of flights, um, so it's easy for Europe to use London as a hub. I think the question is, um, yeah, could we have sixteen games or eight games in in London? Would we
3: fill the stadiums? I think that's uh, a big question. I, th- I think we would. What? What would happen probably is the team would be based on the East Coast in America, mainly for, probably for tax reasons, and then fly out to the UK because then it's not a massive time difference either way. The big concern there is, and sort of the international people in the NFL spoke about it, if they could nail down the sort of a new thing in the next salary cap rules of the tax code so that a team that is based in the UK potentially isn't being charged twice as much tax as some of the other states in America because that would stop any sort of real team having success because if you're having to pay twice the money in tax, then suddenly your salary caps are a lot smaller than everyone else's. So that's one of them big things. and Maybe we might see it in the next um, collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, I hope so. Jack, have you ever thought about being an accountant, mate?
2: An accountant? No. Mate, all this cap space talk, all this tax talk... Man, I think you should change careers, mate. Go into uh, accounting.
3: I'm happy doing what I'm doing until Sashi Brown calls me, oh, and right. then I'm on that plane. Five minutes later.
2: Alright, look. Let's not. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, Jake are you uh, a pro uh, Sashi Brown fan or I'm not?
1: Um, I have a mixed relationship with that whole era. I think I like, I like the idea of what Sashi Brown tried to do. Um, I think the, the on paper that idea sounds fine, but I will always say uh, my official stance has been that Sashi Brown tore it down too far. Um, you know, I, I certainly think you guys know as well as I do. They were good enough to win some games last year, but when your bottom line is we're so bad, potentially, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. I'm a I evaluate things from a gambler's perspective. If it, if it goes as bad as it can go, what is our floor? And their floor they opened themselves up to was two years of what could have been 0-16 and 16 in the in the worst single worst two-year stretch of football in the NFL. And that, that's to me, is unacceptable. It doesn't have to be torn down that far to be built into a successful franchise. So, like I said, I, I think that there are some things... You know, it's unfortunately a lot of times on Twitter or when you're having conversations about the Browns that you pick a side and you dig your feet in. I think there are things that Sashi did well, and I think there are some things that Sashi didn't do well. So um, I would hope that Sashi learned from his experience here. I, I, I think he might get another – I hope he gets another opportunity somewhere else in the league at some point. But um, I, I lean toward if I had to, to evaluate it I, I, and, and, and say did I think it was a failure or not, I, I'm more pro Sashi than anti Sashi, but I certainly didn't like the idea of opening up your team to the the possibility of of, of bottoming out as hard as they bottomed out.
3: And it's, it's it's one of them things I I love about following you because I love Pete Smith's takes. I'm a massive diehard Sashi lover, but I've got a lot of sort of respect for the balance you sort of give Browns Twitter in the aspect of. You're either a lover or a hater, and there's Jake Burns going. No, well, he did these five things great. He did them five things bad, and it, it's just good to see that there's somebody online that actually goes, no, there's good and there's bad, and get over it. And no, it's uh, it, it's it's a good grounding follow, just to sort of go, no, I, I, I like 75%, but 25% was bad. And the trouble is, lots of people now they need to 100% believe. Everything Sashi done was perfect. Well, they need to hundred percent believe everything John Dorsey's doing is perfect, and no, keep going. I know you get a lot of hate probably from both sides every time you go where he's fifty percent right, but uh, you're probably on the right line there.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, people people want it to be black and white, and it's just not always black and white in pro sports. Hell, a lot of life isn't black and white. There's a lot of gray areas, so. You know, you look at you try to look at it holistically and and look at, you know, like you said, what they what they did bad, what they did what they did well and and try to figure out what does one side see is is there more good than bad or is there more bad than good? That's what you kinda gotta look at and um, yeah, and in the grand scheme of things I think Sashi had his heart in the right place. It just it just was too much losing and the risk that they put into it was too high, um, you know, to, 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 to feel comfortable with coming out of 1-31, landing on your feet. You know, it's too bad, but it's a new regime now, and we just keep hoping that they figure it out, and, and, and we're, not, <laughs> we're not off to the hottest of starts here, but uh, I think most of you guys would agree that the Browns fandom is just about taking your punches and somehow trying <laughs> to find a way to crawl back up into the saddle again the next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, uh, Jake, it's an international podcast, so I'm going to ask, do you uh, um, follow any uh, soccer at all?
1: <laughs> you're not. You're not going to love my answer. So, every time I watch soccer, uh, which I actually, I actually do call it football, but I, I, yes! for the sake of this, we'll differentiate. I, uh, anytime I do watch soccer, I love it because I think it is the single most beautiful sport played in the world. Uh, and I'm not saying that to butter you guys up or anything. I, I tell that to to my dad, and he kind of argues with me because you know he's he's he doesn't see it the same way. But man, I, when 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 plays are made in soccer that's just a, a subtle touch or, or the way somebody creates an angle. I don't think there's a more beautiful game than soccer. And I, I don't follow as well as I should, um, partly because a lot of my fandom is tied into location.
2: Yep. So
1: I don't – and the time zone stuff I don't do well with. So, But this is going to be stupid, but it is what it is. Like I love playing FIFA. When FIFA comes out, I play it nonstop because I genuinely love it. So. Um, you know, I, I if I were living in London, I think I would fall in love with some, you know, with some club at some point, and probably follow it as closely as I follow the Browns. But I've, I have always had an affinity for watching, um, you know, the Premier League or La Liga or um, you know Serie A or whatever. I, it's always it's always been very interesting to me. I'm I'm jealous of the passion that those fan bases have. Um, you know, so to answer your question. No, I don't follow it like I should, but I, I also love it, and I love the World Cup when it's on and all that stuff, so there you go.
2: Okay, great. And uh, this year, World Cup, uh, who did you support? USA wasn't in it, so uh, who did you I, support?
1: I was, I was an England supporter through and through, my man. I, I, I wanted them to win it really badly. A um, uh, big, big fan of Harry Kane, so um, I wanted them to. I was pretty upset. I mean, you know, France winning is cool, but... I really wanted England France final would have been really really neat.
3: So as, as a big fellow FIFA fan the question I've got to ask, Xbox or PlayStation?
1: I'm a PlayStation guy and I'll tell you why because my cable subscription now runs through them, the PlayStation View. Right, so, so I have used a PlayStation forever and I was going to switch and try the Xbox but then the, the PlayStation View came out and I was like you know what I'll just stick with it.
3: Uh, oh, right, we'll, we'll sort it out. You're a FIFA player, I'm a FIFA player. We'll sort it out, play online, we'll see who's best. The, the big battle <laughs> you, of uh,
1: kill across me. the
3: pond, <laughs> the Atlantic Cup, uh, the, the Atlantic <laughs> Browns Cup, we're, we're, we'll have it.
1: That's awesome.
2: Okay, great. And uh, yeah, moving uh, swiftly on, uh, thanks for the intro. Um, just out of curiosity, um, you're a, a tape guru. Um, how do you actually watch a, uh, a Browns game on a uh, on a Sunday? Do you have like multiple TVs? Do you sit there with your family? Do you have Yeah, how, how do you actually watch it?
1: I I just sit and watch it. Typically, with well, we just had our first son. Um,
2: Congratulations! In February.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Early February, Porter was born, so I haven't had a football season with him yet. But typically, I just watch it. Kel Kelby, my my girlfriend, and I will just hang out and watch it i try not to tweet all too much during games um i will i will just take it in and then the nfl releases there if you're familiar with the game pass website they release the games uh at eight o'clock that night uh the replay and condensed versions which make the condensed versions nice it's only you know 20 It's probably like 35 40 minutes and uh i watch it then and then uh tuesday the all 22 film which is the high angle tape is 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 cut up and it's released on game pass as well so i watch it i'll probably re-watch a game anywhere between five and seven times by the end of a, of a week
2: wow okay and that's uh, and that's the cut down version yeah
1: yeah yeah the full broadcast version is is released that night and it's nice like if you click on the they have a playlist so you can click through and find whatever play you want to find. So if a big play happened in the third quarter, you could click through, scroll down, and find that one.
2: Yeah, we, we have the uh, Game Pass here in the UK. Is it, um, guys, is it the same as the
3: US one? I don't know if it's the same as the US one, but w- we can watch most of the games live because we're really limited with live games. So there's sort of one live game at each sort of hour slot. So all the rest of the games, you can watch free on Live Pass. So we're, we're given cool. that opportunity because... Hopefully, in long term, they'll grow and there'll be more showing on TV, but at the minute, no one really wants to show it.
2: Greg, is it easier to watch it here in London, or is it...?
0: Yeah, so so Jay, coming from the States, I mean, uh, living in New Jersey, especially wanting to watch the Browns games, I, I had to subscribe to DirecTV's um, NFL uh, package, which was pretty expensive, and it's actually much more economical here, and I think it's NFL's kind of like trying to reach out to, to Europe. So with the Game Pass, we watch all the games. We actually get live NFL Network whenever we want to watch it. Um, Hard Knocks will be through that web, uh, through the uh, through the app as well. So it's a pretty it's a pretty cool program. Um,
2: yeah, and um, one thing that you do well when I'm in the states, I'll I'll watch soccer, for example, and it's just like Red Zone. You can be watching a game and it cuts in. We don't get this in the UK. So when we're watching soccer, we have to watch one game. And then wait to maybe the evening and watch the match of the day. So um, yeah, I think we've both got some positives. Yeah. we not living in the area where we watch the uh, game.
3: So we're asking for one bold take today, Jake. So congratulations on having baby Porter. I've seen the pictures? They're pinned to the top of your Twitter. I'm looking at that picture on the right. The feet look a, a little bit bigger. So I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, baby Porter's gonna be a future NFL kicker. What position are you pegging him to be?
1: Hey, man, I, I want him to be a kicker or a quarterback, something that keeps his head away from getting hit as often as possible. You know?
3: I can understand that.
1: <laughs>
3: but uh, I saw them picture in the uh, feet in the picture where he's in the high chair, and I was like, that, that kid's either a kicker or a punter.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's growing quick. He, he was born at about two months early who was born um born at four pounds two ounces and we just took him to a six-month appointment today and he's up to 18 pounds man so he's getting big quick
2: Greg you're gonna have to translate that conversions for me we don't <laughs> work in pounds We're up on oh, shoot. We're I, yeah pounds I'm on not good kilo. at that yeah okay good good and um, yeah so Jake so um uh yeah me moving on into my uh trying to get more into uh watching snap by snap um so, yes, so what, what's the first steps of then actually start looking over tape? How, do, how does that work?
1: So what's uh, so you're saying how do I kind of break down tape? Yeah,
2: exactly. So, like you said, you watch it um, seven, eight times afterwards. How do you start then breaking down the tape?
1: Okay, yeah, so what I'll do is um, my plan has always been I will just go through uh, every single play that happens. So you, it's probably what you guys... Saw last year, how you came across me was I did yes. Monday film breakdowns. So, um, 8 o'clock that night, I will go through each play, see the outcome of the play, and sort of what happened within it, pinpoint something a defensive tackle like Larry Ogunjobi making a play somehow, or what he did to make this tackle, or what, um, in, in terms of last year, what Deshaun Kaiser saw when he threw it here. Uh, the certain ra- I just try to pinpoint something on every play to point out, breaking down the film. Now, yeah. um, a lot of my background and understanding of how schemes work came from, I, I mean, I played football my entire life. Um, I played it in high school, middle school, elementary, middle school, high school. I played in college. I played some quarterback in college here in Ohio at Muskingum. Um, so uh, um, I've always had a deep, I was a quarterback, so I've had a deep um understanding of how schemes work so that's helped me understand those sorts of things and then when I got done playing in college I, I coached and was an offensive coordinator in Columbus here um, at a school called Newark which is a Newark high school is a school just east of Columbus um, so I've always had you know a deep passion for learning uh, schemes and how everything works within a place so it's never been a problem for me to pull up the film and and, and and be able to dissect sort of what has happened in, in within a play. So um, I break it down that night. I try to pinpoint things that went right, things that went wrong. You know, your you, people will tend to tend to recall the play that this, they saw, and I try to pinpoint. You know, what happened or a good play that was made. Then later in the week I keep going back and I'll look at, okay, what did the Browns do on third downs? What were their, their key concepts they used here? Inside the red zone, what did they do? And pinpoint that kind of stuff from the All-22 angle. Um, but anybody who's diving into it, I, I, mean, I would suggest there's Football Outsiders does a really good job. Uh, Inside the Pylon is another company online that does a really good job of explaining schemes and how it works, why guys are doing what they're doing. But to be honest with you, a lot of my knowledge comes from just just playing for so long and being coached for yep. so long, and then translating that coaching and understanding into coaching, you know, high school kids myself, and it just comes second nature. If if that makes sense, it, it, it's it's ingrained. I mean, I'm always learning. There are always things I'm learning. There's things that guys that coach at the NFL and college levels, you know, they, they can teach me at any moment, you know, I try to learn and soak up as much as I can, but anybody who's beginning or would like to do film work, um, it will take an immense amount of study and understanding, but there, are, the good thing is, as opposed to, say, maybe 10 years ago, um, there's, there's, there's an understanding of there are a lot of really good resources online, uh, Chris B. Brown wrote a book called Smart Football, It helps out with people trying to to take in film and understand how the game works and responsibilities and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of my knowledge is rooted in uh, participation and then uh, educating others as well.
2: Okay, great. Thanks for explaining that to us, uh, Jake. And um, is there any, like, uh, data or um, apps, programs that actually tells you, like, who's on the pitch at certain times, like, who's... Um, yeah, do you have like any data like at this snap I know for a fact that these players are on the pitch at the same time.
1: Good question. So there is um, there's not a great resource for every individual playing who's on the field during that single play. Um, a good resource for checking snap counts. Do you, are you guys familiar with pro Football Focus?
2: Yeah, we had um, John Costco on the show a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah, John's a good dude, very smart guy. Um, he So so. what they do is they track how many snaps a guy was on the field. So after a game you can figure out, okay, Miles Garrett played 77 snaps on defense, yeah, yeah. or that, that's probably a bit high. But, um, you know, he played 55 snaps. It, it, there's not something that is going to tell you live who's on the field. Um, you're just going to have to be able to get good at eyeballing players' numbers. And then um, after a game – I always, like I said, I, I try to look at the All-22, but there are times um, when I'm doing just the broadcast view, the low-angle view that you see on TV, that it's hard to tell who's in the game at a certain position. You have to rewatch it a few times. So, um, like I said, that uh, 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 pro football reference has uh, snap count numbers. I know Dogs by Nature, if you guys are familiar with them, they do snap count numbers after the game that they gather. Um, yeah. Football, Pro Football Focus does it, obviously, too. Um, so there's some good resources for that, but I think you're the the, the live answer of who's on the field at any given moment. They don't do a great job of tracking. I think it's because teams make substitutions so frequently. There's never a limit to how many substitutions you can make at any given moment in between plays. Yeah. And
2: do you um, sc- uh, subscribe to
1: the PFF? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, okay. um, I, I I did the elite package last year, and it, it's been really good to me. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Well, look, Jack.
2: Tapping on the shoulder, he's got so many questions to ask you. I'm going to uh, put you on to Jack.
1: All right. All right.
3: So, I don't know whether to thank you or lodge an official complaint, but you are one of the two reasons I ended up on Browns Twitter. It was <laughs> last year, so Takes by the Lakes was the first ever Browns podcast I landed on. And uh, I can't remember which order it was. I tried to look back today, but they're no longer on there. It was... One was you with Doug Maurice and the next was uh, Pete Smith, or it was the other way around. And I'd never really touched Twitter for my NFL stuff. I'd looked a lot on news stories and watched all the games, and it uh, uh, really just blew my mind wide open. I was fascinated with the takes, and um, no, I, I, at the minute I'm in a positive mood, so I'm going to say thank you for sort of dragging me into Brown's Twitter.
1: I, I, I'll tell you what, my story's uh, kind of unique in a weird way too. I, I was, uh, I, I, I had done a different profession um, and coached before and then um, got out of teaching and coaching and decided to um, take on a different occupation and I still wanted to coach but I didn't have the time so I was still having a desire to be involved in football and scratch that. I have an English degree from college so I Obviously, it was the ability to write. So I thought I would apply it and try to write. You know about about something at that time. I picked the Cleveland Indians baseball team to write on. This was like January of last year. Do you, do you guys have you heard of? You probably have. I'll ask. You. Have you heard of Real Sport One Hundred and One?
3: I haven't. No. Okay. I haven't. Well, I know
1: they're they're based out of London, so I didn't. It could be they, they could not be very well known. But anyway, um, they needed. They they cover a, a wide range of. Um, American sports as well, and they they were looking for writers, so I was like, all right, I'll try it. So I tried to write on the Indians, and I did for a while, and then I wanted a more Cleveland fan base to write for, so I found uh, waiting for next year this blog up in Cleveland, and then they didn't need any more Indians writers, but they needed Browns writers. So I was like, all right, you know, I know football well, and I should probably try to stick to what I know best anyway, and it kind of took off from there, and um, you know, started to to really do well with them and build a following. Last thing, I went from like 200 Twitter followers to. I think today I have like 4,600, so it's been well, I mean, it, it, it's treated me well, and, uh, you know, I, I just kind of got back into the Browns deeply, passionately, they've kind of grown away from them in the last three years, but it, it reconnected me with them, and the writing angle of it is good, there's not, a, there's not a ton of people in Cleveland writing about the Browns that understand football at a, at a deep level, um, and that's that's been a bit of my niche is, is breaking things down, uh, conceptually for people, not analytically giving my opinion, but more, um, here's how it works sort of thing.
3: So one of them things you spoke about, I loved the work you did, uh, waiting for next year. So started watching the videos, love them. My, my first hot take from the videos was there is massive beard envy. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at that beard you've grown up in the top right corner and, uh, I feel jealous, but the one that really fascinated me more than the rest out of the first five was the Joby one. I love Joby. and the two questions I've got is why last year I was shouting at the TV every time he wasn't on the field when we were playing defence, and the other one is one tech and three tech, so I'm sort of growing more into it, and he's one of them rare players that he can play either one or three tech. Is that as rare as it seems, or are, can more players do it than I think? And where no, it's,
1: it's not It's not commonly... I didn't mean to cut you off. Finish your, I'm sorry, buddy. Go ahead, finish that if you had more. No, it's, it's,
3: which one of them two is he best at, would you say? Um,
1: it, that's a great question. So, um, the ability to play one tech... Your one tech is, is more often going to be your run-stopping um, interior player because he is closer to the middle of the field um, and can clog up downhill running plays. So, um, so Some teams will, will, will flip-flop what they want from their one-tech and three-tech, but yeah, Larry should, to, to go back to the root of the, 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 the original question, Larry should have been on the field more, there's no doubt about that, but I, everything I got, he only played 28 percent of snaps last year. I think he was dealing with a groin issue. I know he was dealing with a groin issue midseason. He, he certainly should have been playing more. I'm not sure why he wasn't. If outside of the groin injury, I think he might have some 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 poor practice habits that are you know rendering him. Um, a little bit of an issue for for giving big-time reps, too. But they also – I think they're going to rotate them a lot this year. He seems healthy. I think he's going to play more, obviously, going into year two. But, uh, you know, he's he's big, strong, fast. He can play the three – you know, he can beat guards. It's obviously a guard is going to get off the football quicker than a center coming from his position with, the, you know, reaching the ball back to Tunes' lights is at an immediate disadvantage. I think he can play either position. He's probably best at a one because he just abuses other, other team's centers. He's across their face wherever he wants to go. He typically gets there across the center's face. I didn't see centers blocking very well, so he's best at the one. But he can play the three because he's a, he's a, he's a guy who can play with size and strength, but he's a guy who also gets off the ball ridiculously fast. So he can, he can get wherever he needs to go with speed, but he can also use power to push through. And I tried to highlight in that video with his bull rush, he can drive through people as well. So that's a nice uh, ability. You don't see a ton of defensive tackles who so have the ability to to kind of cross over into each.
3: So I'm, I'm going to dub this. I saw it recently. It's, it's going to be my tweet of the week, was when you tweeted, and if you aren't following him already, it's at Jake underscore Burns 18. So pause this podcast, go follow him, and then when you press play, I'll read you the tweet of the week. It was, I continue to come back to this for 2018. If the Browns are going to win more than four games, that defence better be, at minimum, top 15. And how right are you? The big question, reading that tweet that I've got, that I want to know from you, are we going to be top 15 defence? Because everything is right there, but will we?
1: Good question. I think they will be. I think they've improved where Greg Williams didn't trust his guys last year. Was um, it, it, his he played his cornerbacks entirely too far off, which caused um, you know issues in the passing game. The ability for teams to throw the ball out wide quickly and get away with quick throws to beat pass rush. Greg Williams is a big blitz guy, so he will bring extra defenders that don't have their hand in the ground. Um, So uh, I think they will be better. They signed some players. They drafted some people. Um, You know, they obviously drafted Denzel Ward. They brought in Demarius Randall. They got Michael Kendricks as well. Um, So they drafted. They signed a plethora of corners, T.J. Carey, E.J. Gaines, that I think will fit with what Greg wants to do. So I, I don't see any direction for them other than up. And they weren't too terrible overall as a defense last year. Um, they struggled in the red zone. They gave up points too quickly inside their own 20. They didn't create very many turnovers. So I think that there's probably little to do other than improve. And I think there's, there's reasons to be very optimistic that they can go through uh, this year and, and be a top 15 total defense instead of being a top 10 run defense.
2: Yeah, good point there, Jake. Uh, J- Jake, one thing, uh, defensive tackle. Do you think we've got enough uh, depth in that uh, department?
1: You said defensive tackle? Yeah. Um, I think so, kind of. Uh, Jamie is going to be fine. He's just going to be an league average player. Larry, obviously, we have big hopes for Larry. I think he'll be fine. Um, uh, then, then you're running into you know, Trevon Coley has a high ankle sprain, but he's he's a good player when he's healthy. He proved to, to be pretty valuable last year. Um, I think he'll be okay. Uh, Caleb Brantley's dealing with some leg injuries. I have high hopes for Caleb Brantley, hoping that he can um, kind of take that next step this year. He came on late last year. I would like to have them sign one more bigger type of D-tackle, but I think they're trying to move to um, that type of tackle uh, that is that is going to be able to rush the passer and play the run, not be a run-stuffing guy like Danny Shelton was. Um, and, 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 and I'm not sure if that guy's available right now. Uh, so we'll see. I think that they're enough to get by. It's not going to be a position of immense strength, but it is enough to get by. Uh,
2: Jack's getting super excited. He's got someone that he thinks is just
3: perfect. Yeah, uh, He's not ideal, but I think he could play the one tech and you flip Ogunjoe to the three-tech Hankins for one year.
1: Yeah, yeah, everybody loves Jonathan Hankins. I, I like Jonathan Hankins. He was, a, he was a good football player. Ohio State was uh, effective with New York and Indianapolis. I think I think it makes sense. I, it just seems like they don't want somebody that is similar to what uh, what Shelton did as just a a, a one trick pony at that position, where he's uh, you know going to be a guy who consistently can play two gaps in the run game, but doesn't get after the passer very well. So I, I think it makes some sense. There's obviously some sort of disconnect, and and why they're not pursuing him. I. I, I if they signed him today, I, I would think from sitting in Columbus, it would make a lot of sense. And it's easy to sit in Columbus and question why they wouldn't make that move. But there's so many things that we don't know about Jonathan Hankins that that, that could be stopping them from signing him. So, um, yeah, I, I, from here, from where you guys are sitting, from where I'm sitting, Jonathan Hankins makes some sense. But it appears they are moving in a different direction with the type of player they're trying to bring in there. So uh, I would not expect them to do that, barring any unforeseen other injuries that we don't know about.
3: So we set a league record record last season um, as the team that played most in a 4-3 defence where nearly everyone else in the NFL moved to a 4-2 with five DBs. Why? Is it just Greg Williams is stuck in the past? Is he sort of going through sort of what the Raiders are going through and doing everything that was great in 2014? Why? Because it it was just so frustrating of rather than have three linebackers – just put put that nickel backer on the field and just let rip. Yeah,
1: no, good. I mean, it's a great question. Modern NFL is going more and more to spread formations, um, three wide receivers on the field pretty consistently. I don't, I don't have a great answer for why Greg felt the need to keep a a three linebacker um, number on the field each and every play. I mean, they did some four two five stuff, but they they need to do different things there. I think. I think they will this year. Uh, I think they trust their two strong safeties. They have Brian and Bodie Calhoun to play in the, in the slot. I think that you will see less three linebacker set. I think the reason he did it is because he thinks he has guys in, at linebacker that can do both. I think he thinks he has Christian Kirksey, who can cover pretty well, yep. uh, and Jamie Collins, who he thinks can cover pretty well. And uh, he just said, we're going to roll with these guys because I don't trust my people in the slot to make plays, so I'll roll with my guys, take care of uh, the run game as best I can take care of it, and they did take care of the run game, but they left themselves really vulnerable in other positions, so um, I expect them to do less of it, I hope they will, I'll say he blitzes at a, at a really egregiously high rate, and that probably attributes to him having a, a, an abundance of linebackers on the field, so um, he's, he's going to do a little bit more of the um, what what is really known as a, uh, a 2 4 five, where he's going to have Two down linemen, four linebackers on the field, and then five DPs. It's going to be a little bit of a different look. They started doing that in the in the end of camp uh, last week where they were playing uh, Manuel Agba inside, uh, Larry Joby inside, and then had, I think, uh, Jannard Avery coming off the edge and, and Miles Garrett both in a two-point coming off the edge. So they're going to give you some different looks. There's, there's no doubt that Greg Williams will mix things up in terms of his looks.
3: So one question I, I, I've seen on Twitter you're hoping – Hugh Jackson does enough to survive the 16 games and does well enough. Fingers crossed that the Browns are that good. But let's just ask for one second. If Hugh Jackson is let go after week 16 or any point between week 16, the caretaker happens, who do you want to see, bar Bill Belichick, as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns in 12 months' time?
1: Question: I haven't even really entertained it. I entertained that idea last year. I thought a couple guys that were intriguing were, were uh, Matt Nagy, who's in who's in Chicago right now, was the Bears' offense, or uh, sorry, uh, the Chiefs' offensive coordinator last year. Um, I thought Pete Carmichael, who's the, the, the coordinator of uh, New Orleans, the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach down there with Drew Brees. I thought he's interesting. He still might be a candidate next year. Um, Dave Todd who's the special teams coach in, in Kansas City, might be interesting. I don't know. I mean, some people you'll probably hear the name Lincoln Riley, the the young coach of Oklahoma, who had so much success with Baker Mayfield, is another name some people be interested in. It could be. I've talked to people around Columbus, Ohio, that you know, if if Urban Meyer gets fired from Ohio State, he could be a name to pay attention to. It's too early. I mean, in an ideal world, if I could pick any coach in the league right now, that I would, uh, that I would want, I would, I would probably. You know, I don't even. I haven't even entertained that thought really, but um, you got, you got to always kind of let these things shake out, see what's going on. Um, I did like the, the quarterback coach, um, down in Houston. Um, I can't remember his name now. They're trying to bring him in as an OC candidate, but, um, you know, they they could, they could have interest too if the offense plays really well, but they struggle defensively. It could be a Todd Haley situation. I, am not sure, but, uh, I'm hoping Hugh's good enough. He figures it out now as kind of a liaison in between both offense and defense and sitting back and letting it all shake out that he can handle it and uh, they win some games and he proves to be um, a, a, a better overseer boss type than. Um, actively involved in the offense, so I have some hope. Um, we'll see how it shakes out, but it's always it's always tough to see where the next head coaching the head coaching crop is going to come from. So early in the year, you you kind of have coordinators perform pretty well, and then you get an idea of who's out there and and uh, who's available. So we'll see as the year kind of progresses. Next time I hop on the podcast with you guys, I might have a better answer for that one.
3: Well, I'm looking at Lincoln Riley as my favorite, and then John D. Filippo is my second, but. Uh, I'll pass over to Paul for the next question. Um, oh
1: yeah, John D. Fili- Yeah, Fili- Filippo. Yeah, that's going to be a hot name, of course. Good answer. I, I blacked out on that
2: one. Yeah, Jake. We're a pro uh, Hugh uh, Hugh Jackson uh, podcast, so um, yeah, let's uh, let's not mention the next coast, Let's uh, put all our all our faith in uh, Hugh. Yep. Um, okay, and um, I'll be keen to understand. Um, what three players are you looking forward to uh, see the most this uh, season coming up?
1: Um, Three players I'm looking forward to seeing how they perform. Good question. Uh, I, I really am looking to see how Tyrod Taylor plays. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by him as a quarterback and his case study. Is his limitations as a quarterback connected to the surroundings in Buffalo? Is he kind of what we thought he was as a middling High end, uh, his highest end is as a middling quarterback who just doesn't turn the football over. You know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about that. He's, he's going to be super intriguing to me. Uh, that's a good question. He's my, he's my number one. Uh, number two is going to be Miles Garrett. Does he take that next step and become an All-Pro type of defensive end? He looks the part. He's healthy. Uh, does he, does he, does he take that next step? Get to 15 or so sacks? Um, and become every everyone thought he was a once-in-a-generational player? Does he become that kind of thing? Um, and then the last one for me is going to be another new face, Denzel Ward. Uh, is he going to be in, a, in his rookie year? Is he going to flash as that shutdown corner that the Browns desperately need? Uh, does he have that ability? Does he display that ability? Um, he'll be my last one. I mean, I'm obviously going to be interested in Baker if he finds the field, but I don't think he finds the field all too much. But, yeah, those are, those are the big three for me. Yeah.
2: Good. I, I watched. Uh, I did my homework actually on you, Jake, and I, I did, you did some uh, tapes on uh, Tyrod Taylor. I think one of the concerns you had with him was uh, pocket awareness.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He uh, he does a good job. Like guys who have the ability to escape the pocket, sometimes want to sit in, despite their ability. They want to sit in and, and prove that they can throw from the pocket, and he does that a lot. So I'm going to be interested to see if he's Uh, able to kind of strike that balance between sitting in the pocket too much because when he's in the pocket, I don't feel like he does a very good job of feeling things that are approaching him uh, and kind of getting to a spot where he should work his feet to have a clear path to drive the football where he needs to have a clear path to drive the football and have a clear base underneath him. So that's going to be something to pay attention to. When he struggles accuracy-wise, it's usually because what's going on around him he doesn't have a great feel for.
2: Uh, How many uh, yards do you think – uh, uh, Tyra Taylor will get this season?
1: If he gets to 3,500, I feel really good about it. 3,800 is an absolute home run. Anything above that would be surprising to me. I think that's probably about where he's at. If you do if you do the math, um, like I told you guys earlier, I'm an English major. If you do the math here, uh, my calculator, handy-dandy, if you do 16 games times about 180 yards, um sorry, 220 yards, you're going to get to 3,500. So if he if he's at about 220 yards, I'd feel good about it. Or, you know, 220 yards a game, I'd feel, I'd feel pretty good.
2: How many uh, full quarters do you think uh, Baker will get on the uh, uh, field this season?
1: Regular season? an ideal yes. world, he doesn't see any. I don't know if that's ideal, but it's just if he's not... They're set on playing tie rod, so um, if he doesn't play at all, that means be- that's because they're, they're winning football games. Um, so... You know, if he, if he doesn't see the field for any meaningful snaps, they're doing something right um, as a team. So I'm going to predict, however, that he is going to play probably four games this year. Okay. I, I do think that they, at the end of the year, will want to get him in and uh, have him play some games.
0: Jake, how are, you, uh, how are you feeling about the offensive line after the uh, change with, with uh, Petonia moving over left tackle? I mean, how, how are you feeling about the offensive line?
1: Good question. I think... Their thought process going into this whole thing was, um, you know, Joe's retirement left a hole. We tried Spencer Drango. Spencer can't work that position. Um, We know that. Um, So we're going to um, try to address left tackle. We we know Sean Coleman had a problem at right tackle. He wasn't. He was okay, serviceable, but not good um, necessarily by many standards. So we're going to try to rectify that by moving him back where he played in college at left tackle. In an ideal world, you draft this kid named Austin Corbett because he could be a left tackle. We think he played it at Nevada. He could be. He's a wild card, almost like a lotto ticket. But if he's not able to do it, then we at least know we have a guy who can start inside. And if we know he can start inside, we have a guy at left guard, Joel Batonio, who can bump out to left tackle if Sean can't get it done. It became pretty clear, obviously, early Sean couldn't get it done. So they made the move to put Betonio at left tackle. Naturally, Corbett slides into left guard. I feel okay about it. As long as Zeitler's okay right guard, I feel pretty good about it.
0: And one last one for my um, – um, I can't believe I'm asking this question, but uh, we have not talked about this. Who wins the kicker battle in camp?
1: I would be stunned if it was anybody other than Zane. I genuinely would. I think he, he came on well last year. I think – he is—he's—he's uh, going to win that battle. I, I, if I, if he doesn't, it's going to depend on how they kick in preseason. So we don't know. But um, if he doesn't, I would be pretty shocked.
2: Yeah, Zane's a big uh, Chelsea fan, so yeah, we're 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 definitely in this London <laughs> office team, Zane.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I like Zane. I mean, I, I welcome the competition. They should do that. But uh, you know, I, I I don't think there's any reason to think Zane won't won't win that job. Just
3: uh, one last question then before we flip to an. We've asked about the kickers, the punters. I think could be an interesting one. Will they save the seven hundred and fifty grand worth of cap and flip to Vogel over Colquitt?
1: Good question. I I think that they like Colquitt. To be honest with you guys, you kind of blindsided me. I haven't really thought much about kicker punter. I think so much of what those guys do um, is going to be dependent on how they perform in training camp. So. Um, you know, I, I, I don't I don't see money being an issue. They have an abundance of calf space. I actually expect them to keep the status quo and keep Colquitt and, and Zane. Unless, you know, like you said, Mugol has a, a really good preseason and makes it impossible for them to cut him.
3: I, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming and joining us on the podcast, Jake, as a very long time follower and massive fan I'd just like to say thank you for helping us out with this show and best of luck to the Browns your young family all the video work you're doing we're big fans over here and just keep up the amazing work
1: hey no thanks guys I'm a big fan of stuff you you know your guys pod is great um, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously a big fan of, 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 of any conversations we have I think you guys do a great job And uh, it was my privilege when you asked me to jump on. I knew right away I was going to say yes because it's an opportunity I've uh, I've been meaning to get and I I appreciate you guys having me.
3: So as as a uh, massive salary cap lover and tough decision maker, how many quarterbacks in the NFL do you believe are worth more than 10% of the NFL salary
1: cap? So how many... Ask that question one more time. How many quarterbacks
3: within the NFL... Would you pay more than ten percent of the salary cap to? Ooh,
1: good question. Um, I I I'm
3: from a school of thought that says the only two quarterbacks in the NFL that can carry a franchise are Brady and Rogers, and the rest you replace them with a the first round QB, which is hot. It's uh, it's bold. Not even Sashi would have gone that far, but uh, I'm gonna throw it out there.
1: Yeah, I I just think that good quarterback play means so much to your franchise. That I, I would, I, I actually think on the, on the large end of things, quarterbacks are probably underpaid um, to what they're worth to your franchise. So there are probably 10 guys I would give that kind of money to um, without hesitating. Because if you look at the franchise that we're currently talking about, how long we've been desperate for a quarterback, and how much everything falls into place for your franchise in terms of stability when you get one. Um, there are probably about 10 to ten to 12 guys I would feel comfortable committing that kind of capital to. Mm-hmm.
2: Jack's Jack's uh, passed out with that last comment, by the way, Jake.
3: I, I can feel the heat coming through the Skype. I, I would say if you build an awesome roster, the quarterback's not that important. But uh, that's another conversation for another day, so I'll pass you over to the other chaps.
1: Well, you're talking to a former quarterback, so I'm going to be hard to take off that stance. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: And uh, Jake, where can uh, we, uh, our listeners and ourselves, find more information about yourself? Out.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm actually doing a couple different endeavors. I'm on the Orange and Brown Report, uh, which is a, a branch of 247. We write on the Browns um, pretty pretty frequently. Um, and then um, you can find me. I started a new endeavor called Brownstone Breakdown. That's obviously uh, just basically right now. It's all on YouTube channel for Brownstone Breakdown, and then I have an uh, app. The uh, handle at B D N for Twitter. Uh, you can follow along and find all the uh, video library there. So it'll be more, um, you know, interactive as a, as we get into the season, based on immediate game tape. It gets a little dry this time of the off season, and you're just watching tape from games gone by that you've seen probably 50 times. So um, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a good time. Thursday we get our first preseason game. Um, it'll be fun to jump into some new film look at some new players all that good stuff so um, yeah for sure that's where you can find me Brownstone Breakdown and the OBR
2: thanks very much yeah for us the game's on at uh, 1.30am on Friday so uh, yeah we'll be up all night watching that um,
3: so if, if you enjoyed this episode make sure you follow us all on Twitter so go to at Jake underscore Burns 18 and thank him ...for this wonderful episode. It's one of them rare episodes where I'm going to go back and listen to every single word of this... ...because uh, I need another hit to take that all in. If you've got any more ideas for what you want to hear on the episode... ...make sure you go to at Paul Brown underscore UK... ...because he's the one that sorts out the guests, sorts everything going on. And then if you've got any concerns, any problems, or you just want to shout at someone... My Twitter handle's at Jack Duffin, J-A-C-K-D-U-F-F-I-N, and I'm the one you just moan at. Got any problems? If you hate Sashi Brown, blame me. Um, I'm happy to take the criticism for that. But, no, thank you so much, Jake. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining us. It's been wonderful to have you both in, and, uh, no, we, we'll definitely try to sneak you in somewhere during the season because uh, you're not going to get many best, better guests than this.
1: Yeah, please do, guys. Anytime you need me, man, let me know. I'd love to come on chat football with you. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say it again: my privilege to uh, to join you guys. Uh, uh, um, you know, big big thanks to to um, considering me, having me on, valuing uh, my opinion, and following along um, for your you know for your guys' fan uh, fan base to follow along as well.
2: Excellent. Thanks a lot, there, Jake, Jack, Greg. Good night. And, uh, All right, thanks, guys. Go Browns.
3: Go Browns. Go Browns. That's right. I, I by
1: the river.